Hi, and welcome to the newly rechristened Second Rate Film School. You know, you could pay a lot of money to go to an actual film school and watch movies being taught to you by professors who actually know what they're talking about. Or you could do it for free with people who kind of know what they're talking about. So, I'm Andrew Wass. I'm Jake Plumeri. And I'm Jacob McCullough. And today we are watching, quite possibly, the greatest Spider-Man movie of 2002, Spider-Man. I think that would be a hard point to debate. <laughs> yeah, no, um, the first Spider-Man movie is near and dear to all of our hearts, I would safely say. Um, I still think it holds up very well. Everything except this title sequence holds up very well. I, and, and Macy Gray. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's very 2002. <laughs> yeah, this is... This is a cool title sequence. It's just the, the CGI is uh, a little dated. Yeah, some of the effects are a little dated. Going to the Macy Gray scene, um, it almost looks like he's like a cartoon character jumping across the balloons. Oh, I mean specifically that. like this sequence here. Yeah, that too. But I get like yeah. the, uh, the CGI versions of like the mask and stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's, I, I'm talking specifically about that. I think for the most part, he looks fine, Spider-Man himself. Sometimes. There, there's a couple, bad, I mean, yeah. there's a couple times where he knows, but it's, it's not that bad. It's... I think Spider-Man 2 is where they really hit their stride with everybody. But we'll go into that when we do the second one. But this first one is, you know, one of my favorite movies. It's, yeah, like you said, it's very near and dear to my heart. Yeah. Whenever, whenever I think of great movies, I think of this movie. I think people blow out of proportion the uh, the CGI problems that this film has. It's pretty oh, good sure. throughout most of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a small yeah. moment. Yeah, it's like, if anything, to me, it felt more just like the primitive nature of CGI back then. Yeah. Uh, versus any real failure on the filmmaker's part. I, I think overall it's pretty good. Exactly. Yeah. You had John Dykstra doing supervising the CGI and everything. Well, th this had never been done before at the time. So just, you know, to make someone like him swing and do everything that he that he could, that was that was very unprecedented. I should probably save this for the third one, but it's related to John Dykstra. So he did the effects on the first and second film, but then he left... Uh, he left and didn't do the third film. Now, does anyone know what project he left in yes. favor of? No. Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels. Remember Hot Wheels? <laughs> no. I, I mean, I remember the concept Hot Wheels, but I don't remember the movie. That's because it never came out. Oh, God. Um, well, maybe he knew that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. He's like, yeah, I'll get paid to do them. It could look like shit because no one's ever going to see it. I don't have to finish the movie. This looks like the... Um, just. So I was gonna say this just looks like the '90s Spider-Man, like he, when he's zipping around, like the CG with the um, 2D Spider-Man. It looked like Spider-Man's like swinging into like a, a mid-90s Windows screensaver. Yeah. Exactly. Now Sam Raimi directed this, who you know was a very inspired choice, and you know he, we we obviously know he came from you know the cult circuit with the Evil Dead films and everything, and doing a lot of other smaller Dark Man as well. Dark Dark Man. Evil Dead, and then he moved on to some stuff like The Simple Plan, The Gift, which are really great. And uh, I think I remember him saying that those pretty much, um, you know, he, he wouldn't have been able to do this movie if he didn't do those movies before, which makes a lot of sense because you see like yeah. the more drama and Simple Plan and everything, and then with the more, you know, action, horror, Evil Dead. And I think it was just a nice combination of them. I think that's what made it so that this choice so interesting. And plus, he's a fan too, but he's a filmmaker first, which. Which is what kind of makes him well, not maybe not so much unique, but I think what transcends these movies in a way. Yeah, I, 
moment I saw for the love of the game. <laughs> this guy is going to make a great Spider-Man. Oh, there's a um, r- like rosary card or funeral card in the background above the bus visor. I just noticed that for the first time. As a kid, I thought that was Deborah Whitman <laughs> from Spider-Man yeah. the Animated Series. And then, oh, is that Pinky Barnes with the donut? <laughs> oh, there's a uh, Flash Thompson. Forty-year-old Flash Thompson. Yeah, and he's got the gray beard or whatever. <laughs> yeah. hey, well, let's talk about uh, the casting of uh, Tobey Maguire as, as Spider-Man too. How old is he in this movie? He was 26 when he, when so, he shot. This. So he was wow. younger than two of us, and the age <laughs> yeah, of one of us. I think he's my age now when, it, when the movie came out, but. It's very odd, but just again going back to the, it's like pretty inspired casting. Just not a guy you would immediately expect because I know the studio wanted more traditional heartthrob leading man like Freddie Prince Jr. or oh, Heath Ledger, who at the time was kind of known more for that. But Sam Raimi went with you know Tobey Maguire, who was in the Cider House Rules and Pleasantville, Pleasantville, which he's great and he's, he has this very earnest way about him and everything. And I, I think you can see that that studio mentality of having a more traditional leading man as Spider-Man and yeah. Andrew Garfield was played as sort of a more of the moment, granted, but traditional sort of romantic leading man. Which is a shame because that was still inspired casting. I think that was great casting, but they but it's just the rest of the movie. It's not it's not his fault. But that's that's another discussion. The commentary six time the six commentaries from now. Yes. Yeah. It's for the commentary track on the amazing Spider Man movies that we will never do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then the man, the myth, the legend. James Franco. <laughs> well, he auditioned to play Spider-Man too. I uh, even Willem Dafoe. No. <laughs> Hi, I'm high school Peter Parker. I'm Peter Parker. <laughs> He's older than Rosemary Harris. <laughs> yeah, but oh well, I'm just I just a crash. <laughs> just the casting of this movie across the board is excellent. I think it even extended into the sequels. You know, Alfred Molina is great as Doc Ock. Yeah, well, that he was just known as, in that film Frida, and he had that little bit part in Boogie Nights. And um, Indiana Jones. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Can you imagine, I mean, I guess this is more of a Spider-Man 2 discussion, but like now hiring sort of more character actors to play these villains, where instead superhero movies now get enormous stars to play mm-hmm. the villains, like Jake Gyllenhaal and yeah. Keaton. Well, there was something, there was like a level... There was something earnest about this. I mean, you have to go. It goes into the time period of this came out that you're looking at. Like superhero movies, just like really sucked at this period. Yeah, you had X Men came out at the same time around about that. It's like this is what really kicks art. Oh, yeah. superhero movies can be competent again. Yeah, you you had Blade and X Men, which were successful and were good. But I think if those opened the door, this one kind of kicked, kicked down the, the door yeah. and went in shooting. This That's really. Because this is the. This was the first one from this sort of like, I guess we'll call it this era of superhero movies that embraced the inherent comic bookiness, yeah. the heightened reality yeah. of it all. Whereas X Men and Blade were definitely trying to downplay it and make sort of a sort of like a darker thriller sort of movie. Yeah. No. And it makes sense given the time post Batman and Robin. I, I I get that, but you you gotta get you get a guy like Sam Raimi who again is very earnest and he's very unabashed in his love for the material and is not afraid to take those chances because he has faith in the material and he understands the character, which is something that he always talks about across all these movies. You know, what's the journey of Peter Parker and what, you know, what obstacles does he have to overcome? And that's, that, that's the centerpiece across all three of these movies. And I think that's a pretty big 
fundamental reason as to why they they've endured so much because you really understand this character and what he's going through. Yeah. More than more than anything, I think the big takeaway from this series is just how deeply the filmmaker filmmakers in question understood the character of Peter Parker. Yeah. And I think that comes yeah. to zenith with Spider-Man Two. Absolutely. Um, yeah. They they really understand sort of what makes him tick and what he's about, and that's. I mean, it's easy to take for granted, but, you know, you don't always get that. Well, sometimes people kind of lose track of those things. They're, like you said, they do They do take it for granted. They just assume because it's it's the character, but they don't really understand why the character works. But Raimi, Raimi did. I think he, again, you know, you compare it to, like, the Amazing Spider-Man movie that came out, which took Peter Parker in a very different direction and sort of made it more about his relationship with his parents and stuff like that and what that meant. But that was never what the character was really about. No. And I think it just... It, it, I think it shows how fortunate we were to have a filmmaker who understood what Spider-Man was about. Yeah. Raimi, I, I mean, I think these movies have aged very, very well, and they're still beloved to this day, I think, because of all these reasons. I don't... Maybe people took it for granted at the time, but I think with time passing and with, with the passing of these more comic book movies, I think these have just stood the test of time because, because of a lot of these things. Plus, when you edit this, you should take this conversation about these movies... Aging well and put it over the Macy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, not everything can hit a hit a bullseye. You know, hey, for all we know, Martin Starr is going to come out that like he did something terrible, so all of his like clips in Spider Man: Far From Home and Homecoming are going to be really bad too by then. So maybe Macy Gray will be the least <laughs> offensive thing. Um, now I remember this Lego set transitioning. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just get, recently gave Jacob the Legos for Peter Parker and uh, Mary Jane. For some reason, I lost the Spider-Man and Green Goblin ones that came with it, but I kept the boring human characters. Wait, you get there's a Lego set of this scene? Yeah, this yeah. scene. It was like the Lego origin <laughs> set, so it was this scene. So I had like the pillars and like a spider could come down, and Mary Jane had like a like smiling face, and if you turned her head around, she looked horrified because I guess Peter got bit. And then there was one of um, Norman Osborn turning into the Green Goblin, and it had Spider-Man in it as well. And I lost the Norman Osborn and um, uh, Spider-Man. Yeah, because I the original Lego Spider-Man sets, as we talked over, like one of the most pivotal scenes in the movie, <laughs> yeah. was actually a subline of their studio branding sets, where they would create Lego sets that looked like movie sets. And they made one for Spider-Man that included a Steven Spielberg minifigure. Yeah, I just oh, real disappointment that we didn't get like a Sam Raimi figure. Yeah. But, you know, it's it was still cool. And then they released actual sets. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, so a little trivia: that character there is Mendel Strom, mm-hmm. who in the comics becomes the Robot Master. Oh. And he was a whole thing where Norman Osborn screwed him over out of his work, which is a very common theme in Spider-Man movies. <laughs> <laughs> and he like tried to get revenge by turning into a cyborg, and eventually Norman had to basically get him killed. And then he came back a few times. And in here, he's just man. <laughs> I I like the like little tension to detail whether Rami ever thought if he made like fifty five Spider Man movies he would get to him or not. But it's like a nice little nod for I guess the people who read the IMDb or cast list at the end because do they say his name in this? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Doctor. Oh, so there there we yeah, go. Yeah. Okay, I couldn't remember. <laughs> I suspect that in 2002, Sam Raimi was not thinking, how can I see the robot master? <laughs> I'm sure he definitely was aware of the character because he was a 
he was a fan of the comics within that era, yeah. in the 60s and well, 70s. Well, the test pilot later in the movie, um, I'm blanking on who that was. Wasn't that supposed to be Jameson's son? No. no uh, it, was, so. it was supposed to be someone. I can't remember who it was. I'll have to look huh. it up. Oh, well, you, you mean the scene with the world's most practical battle armor? Yes. I'll get to that. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that. I'm Googling. <laughs> yeah. Is great. We're probably going to be saying that a lot, or we'll try not to say it a lot. But well, we, have a real, we have a real uh, affinity for Willem Dafoe in this movie, and in general, but in this movie in yeah. particular. Well, and that's the, the thing. Classic. Yeah. Okay. This is great casting too, because I feel like if they made this movie now, they would probably have cast like, well, Marissa Tomei. And <laughs> <laughs> this. I still want Cliff Robertson to play her husband, though. Well, again, because it wasn't like as big of an enterprise back then that like every character did not need to be played by a major star which again like that can be cool in its own right but they, I really appreciate getting these character actors to really embody these roles well the thing is too Rainey could have chosen bigger stars but he, he opted to I mean I don't know how much of a choice they had how many options but I, I, this feels like a very Rainey thing where he was casting these two people in particular especially since he worked with Rosemary Harris in The Gift but Cliff Robertson is very like that's it's perfect cast oh yeah I mean, for sure just, he, it really is yeah a great actor that wholeheartedly embodied this role. I, what always stuck out to me was he always felt very human. Mm-hmm. Like you sort of quickly just turned him into like a martyr in this movie, I feel. But he yes. actually has dimension and depth to him. Like when he's talking about looking for a job here and just the little moments he has with Aunt May and with Peter it makes him feel well, well-rounded. Yeah, because you, this is essential because it's it's what drives Peter's Peter's arc. Yeah, so like you, you, uh, you really feel for him when he loses him. Yeah, and well, it's, there's like, well, we'll get to it, the scene in the car. Yeah. Well, and I think it also shows, you know, I mean, part of it was, you know, by the time we got to Tom Holland, like, we don't need to see the third Spider-Man origin in, like, 15 years. But I think there is something to be said about the, like, you know, we can only do so much to um, to um, improve upon this, and I don't think they really could. Like, I think, yeah, that's perfect casting. Now, yeah, they wanted to have Marissa Tomei, so you couldn't get a really really like stoic older man unless you wanted to have her into older guys but i think like it was part of it was this is just so perfect you can't keep doing that like great power comes great responsibility and have it come from a lesser well the version of ant-man in the new movies is very much a real reinterpretation of that character it's like i'm not gonna say it's hard to compare them but they are can't just keep doing the same thing yeah. either it just I, I do like the Marissa Tomei interpretation because it, it's sort of like the ultimate Spider-Man Aunt May who's who has a job and who's more independent and she's you know she has her own autonomy and everything which is which is great but this is just this is very much of like the 60s and 70s Aunt May but she's but she's still who's in her 60s or 70s yeah but Aunt May here is still she's not shortchanged at all she's still very much a character in her own right she just isn't there to be worried about Peter you know what one thing I appreciate about this movie I like how the Green Goblin's origin and story is entirely separate from Spider-Man's until the plot sort of brings them together. Like, it's not a thing where the accident that created Spider-Man also Mm -hmm. creates the Green Goblin, like, in the Ultimate Comics, which I like, but I like that it's sort of a separate thing here, and it's the character dynamics bring them together later in the movie. Yeah. And I think it also makes the world feel bigger, that, like, everything didn't just stem from one accident. Yeah. One, in one part of the world you have the spider bite thing and in the other you 
Well, and that's the thing, like in the going a little bit different and jumping um, comic companies in the show Static Shock, which you know, I loved growing up, it was to a certain level where every superhero or supervillain was created from one accident. It's like, okay, how many people were at this dockside riot at like 11 o'clock at night? Like it got to the point, it's like, is like, half the city are have superpowers now? You're all telling we were we were all down at the docks at that night. So, but I agree with you that it's nice that's like not also like oh you know Doc Ock was also created by this and the lizard and the Sandman. Like, so you, there is this comic called Spider Man Chapter One that did that where basically there was this huge accident in like Doc Ock's lab and that caused Peter Parker to become Spider Man. It caused Doc Ock to become Doc oh. Ock. Like a bunch of other villains and stuff like that. It was it was pretty. Uh, that that actually that actually happened in uh, the first draft I read to the David Kep script that's online. Actually, the same accident creates Norm creates the Green Goblin and Doc Ock. Because Doc Ock was originally in this movie. Yes. They wisely chose to avoid what happened with Spider-Man Three and not put tons of <laughs> characters and supervillains yeah, in this. They they focus squarely on on Peter's origin story and the parallels between him and the Green Goblin and that sort of father-son dynamic in the theme. I'm really curious what the subtitles are going to say for Willem Dafoe's line that's coming up. Back to formula. Is it going to say guttural screaming? (laughs) (laughs) Great. Oh, but it doesn't say Oh, it's great. It just Classic Sam Raimi too. I, that's what I love. Like this is an authentic Sam Raimi film. It's not watered down. It's just it's just again, yeah. the perfect balance between just the filmmaker's vision and the material. It's it has real verisimilitude to quote Richard Donner. Yes. Where it's not looking down at the material. Um, it's embracing it, but at the same token, you can take it seriously because the drama is very real. Mm-hmm. I also like how simple that effect was of just like having it out, just literally putting the camera out of focus as he pulls up the lens. It doesn't make sense because you can see, like even outside the outside the glasses is out of focus for him, but it's still just so simple. I love it. Like it's such a simple effect. I love it. Great. I remember in the movie theater, um, people were. I remember just hearing people laugh at that at that glass thing. I I could tell already people were so into this movie. Yeah. I remember uh, this scene when I saw this. Mm-hmm. really jacked which is funny especially in retrospect now that Captain America basically did this and hypercharged it to like yes. skinny small guy to like you know giant muscular man here it's like much more of a subtle thing there's almost like a wear a, a big a t-shirt yeah. here going on where it's like you wake up like the skinny nerd and you're suddenly yeah. buff it's great the, Remy really puts you in the shoes of Peter Parker what it's like to get these powers and just the joy of it especially in that scene coming up when he's when he first uh, practices with them on the Climbs the wall. Yes. Oh God. Yeah. It's it's a wonderful scene. It's to me, it's the equivalent of like Superman first flying. For me, it is anyway. Oh, I almost forgot. We just missed the part where Peter jumps down the stairs and almost gives Uncle Ben a (laughs) (laughs) heart attack. He almost died prematurely. (laughs) Then Peter would have been. Then Peter would have been responsible for his death. But he doesn't get to say great power, great responsibility. So in this world, he's just a dick after this because he didn't hear that. All right. uh, Kirsten Dunst's Mary Jane's casting. I, I personally think it's great. Not everyone yeah, uh, really loves like it, but I, again, I think I think Raimi has this penchant of just really instilling this humanity in, in, into all these like very complicated characters. Again, still staying true to them, but really um, 
making them real and Kirsten Dunst really makes her real to me anyway she's still kind of that fantasy girl next door type but she's very much her own character too and everything and I think Kirsten Dunst does a great job of that here and, yeah. and obviously they played up her like familial troubles as well so it shows like her life isn't perfect like they, there could have been a, just a shitty verse where she's like the bubbly everything's great tee hee hee la 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 everything's well, great for me yeah. and, like you know it really humanizes like oh you know she's gorgeous she's popular but her dad's an alcoholic asshole they always hint at it there is never none of the movies ever fully went in and made it like her story but it's always like there at the periphery yeah. well it's it's told through Peter's perspective like that's that's would, the thing yeah. I think of that scene in the third one where she's like talking about the bad review and she's like I see this review and I just imagine my father saying these things it's like oh it's interesting and then that like, shows yeah, it's up. never like the point of her character arcs in any of these but it's always there in the background it's there yeah I imagine yeah oh great got can some you, great stuff can you imagine stuff walking in and finding a woman <laughs> just sleeping in the like that's what I'm gonna use to get my kids to um, behave. I'm just gonna tell them that they're if they're bad, that Willem Dafoe in their closet will get them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right here. We're about to get uh, an appearance by Bernard the Butler, who in, ends up being the, <laughs> the most important character. Very important character in the series. And it's great because he's just credited as Houseman in the this one. Oh, is like, he? he doesn't even have a name, I guess. Like it, yeah. at least according to IMDb. And that is uh that is Bill Paxton's. Yeah. Yes. There he is. We're both no longer with us. He looks so much younger in this one than he does in Spider-Man Three, and I know that's like seven years, but he aged a lot. Well, I bet he was, you know, seventy-five to eighty-two. So <laughs> it's true. The stress of having to take on all that exposition <laughs> yeah. in Spider-Man oh. really got to him. Now, apparently, Tobey Maguire actually caught this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it took a many takes, I guess, but this. Yeah. Sometimes fractal effects are the best effects. Yeah. Oh, this is great, too. Uh, we could talk about their chemistry. I, I think that's very overlooked within these movies. Mostly don't see great chemistry. I know they probably tried for it, but it's either there or isn't. But I, I think these two have probably the some of the best chemistry in the comic book film up there with uh, Margot Kidder and Christopher Reeve. You don't mean Annette O'Toole and Christopher Reeve? I was saying you, you mean Annette O'Toole and Christopher Reeve from the third one. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Well, you know, you know what the thing is, what, what I've always liked about Peter and Mary Jane in these movies is that there's like a real clear arc to their conversations and everything. Yeah. Like, I remember when the Amazing Spider-Man films came out and everybody said that those two had better chemistry. And while I don't agree, I can see what they're saying, but to me it always read as very superficial chemistry where they were good at like sort of ad-libbing and improv whereas with Peter and Mary Jane, the writing really came to bat with... Um, the arcs of their conversation. I always knew what their conversations were mm-hmm. supposed to be about in a subtextual sense, where you don't quite get that with the uh, with Peter and Gwen in the reboot series. Well, no, I think that came from more just the fact they were cu- a couple off-screen. But even then, I, I think they had better chemistry off-screen than they did in the movies themselves, you know, because the <laughs> writing was so bad. They really hampered their, their dynamic. But here, it's, it's, it's great. Oh, here comes the Matrix shot. How he dents the locker. Yeah. Oh, he has great, Flash of Monster yeah. as well. This is a great illustration of the spider sense and everything. Just really great Sam Raimi getting to do more of his stuff, but just in a bigger sandbox. <laughs> 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 
Oh my god! That's how the fight should have ended. Oh, I love that line. My fist breaking your teeth. That's the accident. Yeah, Mr. Sofia Viarga. Great actor here. Oh, there's that extra guy too. Who appeared, who appeared. Oh yeah, yeah. Right there. Yeah, there he yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. You'll see him cl- clear later, but... Yeah, he's in like a million things. Again, very vicarious, but in a way that serves the, uh, the I like story this joke. at hand. Mm-hmm. I like this joke. It's just so early 2000s. Like, it should have been in the trailer. What? Help him. Which one? Oh, it's great. I love it. It's, it's great. No, this this... This got a great big laugh in the theater. Which one? <laughs> Could you imagine he just like breaks his arm, like splinters and it's oh, poking this, out. This is the scene where the teacher's like, what's this 35-year-old man doing in this high school trying to pick a fight with a student? <laughs> now there was the guy again. Yep. Was that pudding? Was that chocolate pudding? I would yeah. assume. Okay. Anyway. Yeah, like how they call him a freak and everyone's horrified. It's like there was a fist fight in school and the jock just dented a locker. Why aren't we talking about that, too? Hey, he gets the fuck out of there before they can ask any questions. <laughs> Duh! He just didn't show up to school for the rest of the year. He barely passed. He's like, it's like, oh, God, I barely graduated because I didn't show up to classes again. To be fair, that's not the most un-Spider-Man thing you suggested. Yeah, it's not true. <laughs> okay, this, this scene coming up. We're going to sit in silence the next 10 minutes. Yeah, I know. Because yeah. we just want to watch oh, it. Th- this feels so skeezy, like though. I like that he has, like, claws. <laughs> and it's not like the comics where it's, like, some weird magnetic thing. Which is clearly what happens when you think too much about this. <laughs> well, I like the idea that anytime like, he brushes Mary Jane's face at some of the more tender scenes, <laughs> he's just scratching the shit out of her <laughs> leg. There should be, like, thousands of little scrapes on her face. Yeah, this is this is what you call a magical moment. Yeah. And then he transitions into the very awkward CGI jumping, but it's still great because oh, yeah. the writing is there and the filmmaking is there. The score, you feel the excitement for him. Well, yeah, it's because you know you're in his shoes here. Well, I agree that like yeah. Well, it's the same thing with like the effects from the first Superman still hold up reasonably well, but there's still sometimes moments. But like this is the equivalent, yeah. Like they said, oh, you'll believe a man could fly. I believe a man can swing. Yeah, that's that, that's what happened with me. They made this very majestic, and like no disrespect for like the Garfield or Tom Holland or the Neil Patrick Harris Spider Mans, um, but it like feels more visceral at least in this one. Like it feels real. Like you really feel yes. like you're swinging. And that's, I think that's because Raimi understands like where the character is at moment to yeah. moment. And it doesn't feel like it just like an, anim- you know, just like an anim- anim- oh. animatic type thing. Oh, this is great. Yeah. Well, I love no, you're actually, that's, how, yeah. that's exactly no. it. You're really, you're, you're experiencing it with the character and you are emotionally in the same place that the character is. It always means something. Yeah. It's not just there to have him swing around it feels more like Raimi was there shot by shot by shot designing everything versus just handing it off to like an animatic studio or something like that. It's it's not about the fact that he's swinging. It's about what it means that he's swinging in the moment. I think of when he, like here, it's sort of the nervousness of is this going to work or not? And then that gets escalated when he's yeah. chasing after the burglar later because that's sort of what you're thinking about when he's chasing the burglar. You're like, is this going to work? And is he going to be able to go get that guy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not, not just, oh, he's swinging. That's cool. Yep. Watch out for that tree. 
Peter, great, great Peter, cut. Peter of Queens, <laughs> watch out for that tree. Yeah, I will be. <laughs> no. I should though. I like what, what jungle to jungle? Yes. With Tim Allen. That'll be our next commentary. I haven't seen that since I was a child. Yes. Anyway, <laughs> let's. Anyway, yeah, back to Door of the Jungle. Yeah. I like the idea that like 85 year old Cliff Robinson and Rosemary Harris painted this all in like what three hours? Like, you know, it's like they did, they said they were going to do this after school. What time is it that like it's completely done? They did two coats. <laughs> Maybe they're the superheroes. Maybe they just hired some people <laughs> just to guilt Peter. <laughs> <laughs> and of course it fucking works because it's Peter Parker. Yeah, they, they called MJ's parents and they came over and helped. That's why they're fighting. He was pissed off that uh... yeah, Uncle Ben couldn't go fast enough, and the father's like, "You're trash. You've always been trash." <laughs> I'll do it myself. And eh, we're stopping you. <laughs> well, okay, this scene's great here because you can tell already how how changed Peter is in a way. His his demeanor is it's a bit more mature. He's not hunching. He, he's more He's more confident. Even his jacket, too. It, it's like a subtle thing, but he was not wearing his, this jacket before. I don't know if that was a oh, conscious right. choice yeah. on behalf of Raimi, but this you can tell he's already a little changed here. I, I think it is. I think costume can really tell a story in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And this is the first real meaningful scene between them. This is when you really get to know MJ. And you find out she's going to be an actress, and Peter's like, Oh, your future's not that financially stable. <laughs> and he goes, he's like, oh, maybe I'll go talk to someone else. Yeah, you're not going to be stable. I'm going to go work for print journalism. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, no wonder he's still in that shitty apartment by the third one. <laughs> it's rent control, Mr. Dickovich. <laughs> I wonder what happened to Mr. Dickovich during the financial collapse of 08. Oh, God. He just puts his head in his oven like as his daughter's trying to make those cookies for Peter. He's just crying and asking for the rent. Rent! <laughs> well, no, I think he... Um... First, like, can't afford to make the cookies anymore. <laughs> no, I think what really happened to him was, you know, he fell into hard times and got, like, tied up into a terrorist group and had to help um, hijack Air Force One. Oh, there you go. That's good. Bringing it back. Well, we were bringing it back, but good reference. Even so, I sometimes punctuate conversations with that. Well, this is great dialogue, too. I, I know, uh, obviously, you don't know who, who wrote what, but I know Elvin Sargent did, did some uh, polishing of the, of the script and dialogue in, in this movie, and then he came on to actually write the full credited script in the second one. But this dialogue is really great. It's just very honest and very earnest. And, and again, you can really track what it means. Yeah. When I know some people make fun of it, and there, I mean, there are cornier lines, and like even on the commentary, on Kristen Dunst makes fun of um, later when it's like, "Out, are, are you in or out? You're the one that's out, out of your mind, Gabby." And she just like spends like two minutes of the commentary laughing and says, "How this is so, it's so stupid." But it's like I, I like it. It feels like a real comic book, and this feels like the tender moments from like a late 60s early 70s where it's like there could be some corny lines in it but like it works so well i believe it that, that's the point Corn- it's, a, yeah, it's a heightened reality yeah and there's sort of an endearingness to playing it up that much there's nothing inherently wrong with corniness or cheesiness no as long as it's want- done right exactly yeah. but people people criticize it like it is out of principle which always irritated me as long as the writing behind it is competent of itself yes yeah and it's also it's like the equivalent like with 
Shark, the Sharknado movies, or like something like Ed Wood, where it's like Wait, I, I, how is this the equivalent of the Sharknado movies? I'm saying that you know, this is corny, but like there's heart behind it. Where it's like you know, people say, oh, like look at like an Ed Wood movie; it's the worst thing ever. Oh, look at Sharknado; it's the worst thing ever. It's so much fun. It's like no, Ed Wood movies are at least made with like heart behind them, and like they're actually caring about where Sharknado is. Like they're trying to be bad for the sake of being bad. So where this is like it could be corny, but they actually care about it. Versus we're just gonna make a bunch of corny lines, and it'll still have the charm of like the Spider-Man movies, right? Where it doesn't in my opinion where it's like yeah they actually care about this it's a little corny but they care yeah actually i agree with everything you just said i like this this is a (laughs) (laughs) this is a very good fake out with like all the drawings like because that's the one that i mean they don't really explain how he makes the finalized costume later i guess he like tried a little bit harder but i like the realism of he doesn't immediately have the professionally tailored suit also i like how he's like thinking of like his jerk off material while he's designing the costume well, exactly. it, well it's still it's putting us within his shoes he's yeah. thinking of her he's See, doing this for her wasn't that an early drawing of spider-man that was made uh by either jack kirby or steve ditko when this was all being designed i don't know maybe i think it, i'd have to double check that don't quote me and don't write in the comments that you're never going to post that i'm wrong <laughs> By the way, I remember this action figure set my cousin had. It was like his room, oh, and it, like it had, it had the yeah. Like, yeah, it had the lamp and all yeah. that. So this is the, the closest we ever got to the James Cameron masturbation scene. I see. I never got that. Yeah, no that allegory in, in this. I just thought it was him just. Well, again, it's like what we were talking about. How like you know the filmmaker here just inherently understands the material. Oh, With James Cameron, it's like he turns it into like a weird puberty sort of thing, <laughs> which is like kind of there when like. But not like it's not the point of the story where James Cameron sort of made it more about that, made it a a, a different story, and ultimately kind of a different character. Yeah. yeah. Now I have to just imagine though the realism of him trying to go around and take all the webbing down, like in a garbage bag. He's just got like a giant hefty bag full of all well, that webbing in his room. In the comics, I don't know if it's the same in the movie. But in the comics, the webbing eventually just dissolves. It takes a few hours. I know. But well, that's. I, I think still, he. Well, that was when he manufactured it. I yeah. Guess. He designed it, but I don't know how it is in the movie. But it doesn't really matter. Well, it's got to dis- dissolve or something. <laughs> <laughs> Try to flush it down the toilet. Yeah. It just clogs. It's got to disappear at some point because could you imagine like if it did it and just throughout the movies you just see progressively more and more webbing around and that was actually a thing in the book version of Who Framed Roger Rabbit like the cartoon characters couldn't talk word bubbles would come out. And then the word bubbles would just fall away and they would just be left on the ground. So that's like a reoccurring theme of the book of people tripping over old conversations cartoon characters are having. So just imagine that, but just tons of webbing. Now, this scene, if if executed wrong or or anything like that, could have really come off as really preachy and or people wouldn't, I think people would have been afraid to make this as earnest as it is. But Cliff Robertson sells the hell out of the scene, especially delivering the classic with great power line. Because that's, that's a hard line to say convincingly and earnestly and not feeling silly, but he does it. Yeah, the conversation's written very well, and he knows how to perform it in an earnest way. I mean, they really make him feel like a real person, so it doesn't feel like an obligatory step here that they have to include. It feels like a real extension of his character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I noticed, did you notice in Spider-Verse, they actually reused the di- the audio of Cliff Robertson saying with great power. Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know they reused the audio. It's the same audio of him saying it. I think 
it speaks to just how iconic his iteration of this character became. Mm. Yeah. No, and that's the thing that um, you, we've seen it across how many cartoons, how many movies, how many iterations and reboots of the comics. You know, like there are numerous different versions of this you can go back to. Like, I would like to see like panel by panel, like how does this compare to like the original, like Amazing Fantasy fifteen? Like, how much of this like did they take from or didn't take from, or what other versions or like what like how like each version of when great power comes great responsibility like stack up against each other so in amazing fantasy 15 uncle ben never says uh with great power comes great responsibility the narrator says it Uh, okay Mm -hmm. but it's just become associated with him it's kind of like being the upscotty you know no one ever says that in the old show uncle ben never actually said with great power uh in the comics but it's just become so iconic and associated with him that we just kind of assume he did now. Oh, uh, there we go. But it still maintains that he said it like in probably like the nineties cartoon and you know, shit like that to Oh yeah. No, it's like it's just an interesting trivia. Yeah, no, no, so that's what yeah. It's been around when this, you know, Spider Man's been around for so many years, it's sort of interesting to analyze and dissect all that stuff. Not, there he is, uh, the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, Ra- Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, I was gonna say Martin Short. <laughs> <laughs> This is great. Oh, this, this this is the first thing I had ever seen him in, and it blew my mind when he was the narrator of the video game. I'm like, oh. wait, that guy is in this? And I love how they kept, as the video games, the Raimi movies progressively went on, they just kept giving him more and more and more <laughs> to do. Like, he's just with you the entire game. It's Raimi giving his buddy some work and royalties. Oh, yeah. Oh, here's Octavia Spencer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is a great line, too. She's got a yeah. great one. Man. Yeah, it's, it's a great little moment. Great is like the operative word across yeah. this commentary. Yeah. <laughs> Someone keep, keep track of how many times the word great is spelled in here. Oh, uh, shit. Now I have to do a counter at the bottom, don't I? Uh, we just made Watts' life much more difficult. Damn it. I guess this guy was called the Flying Dutchman. I always thought he was called the Flying Gunsmith. That's how I always heard it uh, over yeah. the years. Well, there's Campbell's like, the Flying Dutchman. Ready. Well, I like in um, uh, the new one, um, Spider-Man Far From Home, when he's at the charity event, you can see the background of posters says Bonesaw McGraw, like, Versus event. Pressure Hogan, yeah. the original wrestler in mm. Amazing Fantasy 15. You know, and considering the fact J.K. Simmons <laughs> is... <laughs> I never noticed that. <laughs> like this. He's just like, yeah. Man. <laughs> uh, but I like how, and especially because J.K. Simmons is back as J. Jonah Jameson, I like to think that this is the same universe as the uh, Toby Maguire or the, the Tom Holland one. So like Toby Maguire's in retirement somewhere. Be like that son of a bitch took my name. Every once in a while, I'll see like a terrible Photoshop of Toby Maguire looking old in like one of the Spider-Man things. Like when I scroll through social media, it'll come up as like some like article for some terrible clickbait comic book site or something um so i'm always like <laughs> it's like oh are you guys thinking they're gonna do like spider-man rain <laughs> oh my god he's in his 40s right yeah, yeah. now he's see I, he looks the same still yeah, yeah it looks he, good now see i would love to as much as i like jk simmons i would have loved to have him as j Jonah james in the new tom holland ones <laughs> could, you, could you imagine how like meta that would be like it, it's like how um what's his um i'm blanking um 
who played Bond, um, Judy Dent, you, no, M? no, who played no Bond um, after one? Connery, oh, uh, Roger Day. Moore, Roger Moore. Sorry, oh. after that, um, how I Roger mean, Sean Connery played James Bond before Roger Moore did because Roger Moore is the definitive Bond. Yes, yes. Um, I had a mind like a brain fart there but roger moore for years was saying let me play a villain in one of the james bond movies please i want to be a villain in one of these and they just kept saying no it would be too distracting so but i want that i want toby mcguire to play a villain or jk or to play jk simmons could you imagine if they did that well you can't have jk simmons in the world as jk simmons so you have to have toby mcguire play jk simmons <laughs> oh my god can you imagine <laughs> This is great. Yeah. I'm not sure how legal all of this is. <laughs> yeah. Hey, he can take it. That's kind of how I see it. My favorite is when they just give him a crowbar. Like, just, they're going to kill him. <laughs> well, I think that's kind of their justification. The cage match is known to be like the more lethal one versus the other one. Right, and again, it's like this is a heightened reality. Yeah. yeah. It, it fits in with the tone of this movie. Yeah. I also feel like. Um, they didn't tell Toby Maguire like this goes back to like Sam Raimi loves hurting his actors. So it's like, here, hit him with a chair. Wait, what's it? What Sam? Hit him with a chair. Can you imagine if like he actually did kill him? And they had to go home to like Aunt May and Uncle Ben and be like, I'm sorry, Peter was beaten to death with a crowbar in a cage match. <laughs> They're set financially. They're able to sue the ever loving shit out of them because it was a breach. <laughs> Bruce Campbell has to <laughs> testify in court. <laughs> yeah, I saw it all. <laughs> they they had to report to the police station and then they weren't there for the burglar so <laughs> I still like this math. You'd beat him in one, you beat him in two. Shouldn't you get two thousand? Nah, here's a hundred bucks. Check it again, my head. Could you imagine like in a darker timeline, like the bright burn version of Spider-Man where he like snaps his web promoter, web promoter, um, snaps this like wrestling promoter's neck and just takes off his money and just becomes a murderer. But still the gee whiz attitude of Tobey Maguire would be great. <laughs> oh, there, here, here's the cab driver from the Amazing Spider-Man. Too. Yeah, he, uh, he was in the Dark Knight Rises also. Hmm. He was a, a guard at Flatgate. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a... Uh... Other than that, he hasn't really... Apparently, Sam Raimi just would tell him on the set, like, when he asked for motivation, he's like, you're the evil that created Spider-Man. Except it wasn't. It was the Sandman. <laughs> and it was an accident. Hey, he didn't want to let him know that yet. <laughs> Could you imagine if, like, Sam Raimi had planned that far ahead? He's like, I want you to play it as you're evil, but you're not that evil. You can really do what you think you're about to do. What does that mean, Sam? Just think about it. Yeah, he had to change it for the third one. You're the evil that incidentally created. <laughs> yeah, because well, they do have him come back for the full, like the expanded flashback. Um, you know what I like? I like how they didn't totally screw up that last scene there. Yeah. Like it's again, <laughs> it's like it's like such a small thing, but like you to get that moment right. Um, if anything, they like made it a little bit more interesting where he was sort of getting petty revenge on the guy. And oh, yeah. Stuff. They didn't totally like screw up the dichotomy of that. Like, remember how Amazing Spider-Man did it? Oh, yeah. And it was just like very awkward and rushed, and then it never led to him catching the, the criminal. And oh, like, yeah. I forgot about oh, that. Yeah. <laughs> well, well this... do you remember when we all thought that they were going to change it and make it so 
Uncle Ben got killed in Amazing Spider-Man because he changed his work shift. Do you remember this? No. Man, I think I remember the rumor yeah, of that. Like, yeah. It was a scene where he talked about how he had to change his shift. And <laughs> we were all like, is that what's going to like instigate his death? Is that what's going to change that? Peter. Like, they get it, you know, it's very straightforward and they, they understand oh, how yeah. to execute it correctly. Great, great music yeah. here. Now, I love uh, people often complain and, like, you see memes of, like, Peter Tobey Maguire crying through these movies. It's like they make fun of, like, his ugly faces. It's like, I like that because it's more natural. And, like, I heard, like, some comedians talking about it. I was like, yeah, I bet you look really fuckable while you're crying, too. You're not, like, snot tearing over the death of your father figure. I think the fact that we're talking about it means a lot, honestly. The fact that people talk about that, it means it left an impact. Yeah. Yes, it's fun to make fun of sad Toby but I, I think it's about, natural. Um, it's natural. All I'm saying is, remember all those reaction faces and gifs that you got from the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man? Oh, what a memorable character. Yeah. I mean, you know, that little British fucker Tom Holland, he's not as memorable. Fuck yeah, that I keep, guy. I keep oh, yeah, the CGI I here. I, I like Andrew Garfield. It's just, yeah. You know, I like it's such a shame. He could have really been great. Yeah, I know. He's like the Timothy Dalton of the Spider-Man. No, 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 no. Hold on. <laughs> Timothy Dalton was a great James Bond. He was just, sometimes the movies just didn't best service. No, I'm saying is like, you know, that I'm saying Andrew Garfield was good, but the movies like he was in, like it didn't allow him to be nearly as good. So like, it's the same thing with Timothy Dalton. Timothy Dalton, if he was given better scripts or more time to shine. Uh, Not quite. Andrew Garfield still wasn't good in those movies. Mm -hmm. Timothy Dalton was. Listen, James Bond starts with Moonraker for me and ends with a view to a kill. So I'm just laying that down now. Now this scene, this scene is kind of great because it just shows it tracks the progression of Peter learning to web swing, and this is the first scene where he really does it, and it's set up in that first scene where he smashes into the wall. So here you kind of feel some danger for him; you don't quite know if he's going to get out of it, and now he's starting to learn it, and it's all through this progressing the story and and going after. It's yeah, it's compounded by the fact the the emotional weight of him going after uh, Uncle Ben's killer. It's, it's not just, about the special effect; it's yeah. about the emotional state of the character. Yeah. that's why it's so exciting. Now, see, in the PS2 game, I um, like how they completely changed it to it's daytime and he's going around. I just wanted to bring up the PS2 game. Like, remember. went very cold, apparently. Yeah. But no, really. <laughs> I, I love that the PS2 game where it's like he's going around and then, like, this guy who's just like a petty street thug apparently has like a gang that's willing to die for him because in those levels, you kill probably like a hundred henchmen. So I like how the. Video game tried to graduate him up um, a couple levels on the crime ring. Yeah, Uncle Ben's death was a grand conspiracy. <laughs> game involving hundreds of members of the underworld. They had a uh, a Lego set of the classic too. Yeah. Yeah, I had it. I love Bruce Campbell's story when he encountered the classic on the. We're talking about Sam Raimi's Oldsmobile, by the way. Yeah. Um, when he encountered it on the set. He was he was riding like one of the mini carts and he was told about it. He says, "You don't understand. We have to stop this because this ha- it has to be destroyed." <laughs> it's, like, it's like Bruce Campbell's objective is to always destroy Sam Raimi's Oldsmobile. I like how he was one time. He was just like uh, talking about it. He's like, "Yeah, not a single part in that car is an original." Yeah. Well, because it's been everything, and he took it apart. What was the Western movie, The Quick and the Dead? Like, it was taken apart because it's part of a wagon. Like, yeah, it, it was, like, put in a wagon or something. I never saw that movie. I don't know. And I, well, I've seen the movie, and I can't really pick it out. There's wagons. I'm like, well, where is it in there? But 
Yeah, it, it'll never – the, that car will die when Sam Raimi dies. They're going to put him in the driver's seat and then bury him inside the car. Bruce Campbell's going to stick a Molotov cocktail inside the gas cylinder and, like, get down the cliff. <laughs> Did you give him a chance? Did you? I like the Legette. Yeah. I like the Legette flashbacks here. Hey, it just, sticks with yeah, me. Just jumping, but thanks. Whenever I, whenever, <laughs> whenever I, I go into an elevator and uh, I close it, I just think thanks. Yeah. <laughs> or the Departed. Remember they like, briefly brought it back up in Spider-Man Three, how he like gets killed here, and like yeah. they had the brief argument about if he killed him or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very like weird plot point to suddenly bring up and then go nowhere with. It's yeah. probably the only flaw in Spider-Man 3. <laughs> because it's very clear. Like, it's not ambiguous at all. It's very clear it's an accident or that or that's not Peter's fault. Like, they show him tripping over yeah. something. But what... It, yeah, yeah. But in the vi- video game, you just beat the ever-loving shit off him until he stops moving. So I think in the video <laughs> game version, he kills him. So, so you beat him to death in the video game. Okay, this is great too because the, um, I think he's on the Chrysler building, right? Um, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this is not kind of like a true representation of where it is, but that's not the point because this is more of like a New York moment. Kind of, yeah. Well, it's it's not quite a, a realistic New York, but it's not like a real a New York based in fantasy. It's a nice in between. Yeah. Again, it's like a heightened reality where the, the, it feels real. The people there feel real, but not so real that this wouldn't be able to happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's a thing where it's like if you lived in New York, you would be like, "That's not where the Chrysler Building is." But to ninety-nine percent of the world, you wouldn't know that like the Chrysler Building's a few blocks off. Yeah. Wait, Quest Diagnostics did this? They did my blood work. I you help. get the results. I mean, yeah, I, I have a lot of health problems. It's because they got that military contract. <laughs> Like that guy who looks like Robert McNamara, just like was the Kennedy administration. Wow, it's basically Iron Man. <laughs> what if the Green Goblin stole that and went to fight Spider-Man with that thing? God, just painted it green. He saw that immediately. He was just like, "Oh no, we are going back to us." Well, yeah, it's a real more realistic military armor. It's like, why why did the army want a creepy goblin mask? Like the body armor, fine, okay, green, it blends it, but it's like, what? Yeah, was that? Did, are we supposed to assume Norman designed that as the Green Goblin, or was that mask part of the battle armor, and the army was going for something really creepy no, with it? No, because you see the battle armor, and it doesn't have the mask. So, so that's what I'm wondering. Like a, yeah. it's a, they never tell you how he got the mask. Yeah, he just think it's it. Maybe it's one of the masks. You know how he has the collection of masks in that one scene? Maybe it's, maybe it's there. Well, it, there's I a mean, deleted scene of Bernard Dust in the mask collection, and there's just one missing. Oh. There is an internal logic to this, but you're not supposed to overthink yeah. of the how of these things because that's not the point. It's, yeah, it's very much not important where the mask came from. Or Spider-Man's costume. Yes. I disagree. I think... I'm going to undermine you, Jake. This is payback for Zombie Island commentary. <laughs> Click below for the link. Uh, it's a great little thing where you see Harry's like just walks away because he realizes his father doesn't care. Yeah, it's something yeah. you gotta notice afterwards. Uh, Walt yeah. Disney in the background. That guy looked like Walt Disney. Mm-hmm. He should be in a biopic. So, so did Flash propose to MJ? 
Is that is that what I don't know. the ring was or I, or it could be a promise ring maybe like it's a, it's a class ring. He just wasn't very proud of his job in the student council. <laughs> no, I think it's a promise ring. Flash is just very deeply religious and didn't want to have sex until marriage. <laughs> that that's the reason she broke up that's with him. That's why he was angry. He's like, "You know what? Whatever. I'll have sex with you." It's <laughs> just a great subtle moment here and everything. Just moments like this really make a difference for a movie for me. I just attention to character like this, you don't see them very often. Yeah. They feel more obligatory and lesser blockbusters. Yeah. I believe this is the only one shot. What the rest of the movie was no. only one shot. <laughs> <laughs> I like his room too. It's very much it feels very lived in like a seventeen yeah. year old would would have it. There's just a pile of Hustler magazines in his <laughs> mattress. Though <laughs> <laughs> he's got his window facing his um his um his love his love interest. So who needs Hustler when you can just creepily yeah. stare out the window? <laughs> yeah. Peter wouldn't do that. He does multiple times. Yeah, only in the, yeah. He would only do it like once a day. <laughs> Just like the pencil thing, right? It, yeah. it, it feels like it's it's sort of like stuff left over from his childhood too. That just kind of is layered. It's like kind of what's like, in uh, our childhood rooms. It's also very much in line with this character. Like you got the periodic table there. Yeah, because he's a nerd. Yeah. And yeah. Well, yeah, you can see like a what looks like a dinosaur, like Robo figure in the background on the shelf. Yeah. Subtle stuff like that goes a long way. Because I know as adults, we don't have action figures around our bedrooms or living rooms right now. I will not be putting up pictures of our living rooms right now. Yeah, at least Peter's stuff is like real-life science that's applicable and useful for your career and the greater like mankind. It's not like us, where it's just like Star Wars crap. Like, oh, look, you, know, you got this Bionicle figure. Hey, look, I got these universal monster action figures. That's what I have. I also like how they they do imply like there has been a fair amount of time where he just kind of gave up. Like he didn't immediately be like, well, I got to be a superhero. Like he had to think about it for a while. And he has a nice moment with Aunt May here that, albeit, it reminds him of the moment with Uncle Ben. But I yeah. like how she plays a little bit. I believe this is like a passage of time. Though. This yeah. takes place over the summer because then it picks up in the fall. So I yeah, think it's been a while him. since he's seen MJ. I like that it doesn't just take place over the course of like a week. Yeah, well, yeah. it's like the the Thor one problem where Thor is like this like his whole arc and everything takes place over the course of like thirty six hours. It, it gives yeah. it a real sweeping feel. I, it's not like the most important thing in the world, but it does add something. To well, it. I think in this context, it goes more into just this is a coming of age story. Yep. This is when like a boy becomes a man, a and that's yeah. that's very important because this movie it's a superhero movie, of course, it's an action film, but I think this is a coming of age story, and that's how this movie is is written. Yeah. Now we should also mention at this point about the um, the pulled teaser trailer they did um, with the World Trade Center. They had a tr trailer or teaser, I suppose, um, prior to the movie coming out many many months before, where it just shows like a bank robbery, and you're, like you have no idea what the hell it is, and then all of a sudden like they're escaping by a helicopter and they get pulled back, and it pulls back to reveal they're stuck in a web. Like in between the tr World Trade oh, Center. Second. That's Lucy Lawless. Yeah. Go, go ahead. Lawless. Go back. Go ahead. Um, oh, and yeah. Um, that's oh, wait, Chad that's, Kroger. Yeah. Um, it looks like anyway. 
But it was a great trailer, but they obviously had to pull it um, because of 9-11, unfortunately. Um, and you can see the World Trade Center in his eye there, just right there. That was part of the shot. Um, and, yeah, there's always been talk, was that supposed to be included, um, his actual big reveal in this montage? And I think they should have said, fuck it, 9-11 didn't happen in this universe. Leave it in. Take that, Bin Laden. Anyway, it was a great trailer, though. We can all agree on that. Yes, that's probably my favorite teaser still because of that. Just because yeah. I saw it with Jurassic Park 3. Same. Just a surprise. Here there's a, uh, an orphaned res- reference to Eddie Brock, actually. Oh, yeah. 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 Eddie's been on it for weeks. We can barely get a yeah. glimpse of him. Oh, and there's Sam Raimi's brother, Ted Raimi. The equivalent to Clint Howard, to Ron Howard. Yeah, but not as oh. ugly. I want to see like a like a like celebrity is death Conway, match between is the two of them. To be a reference to Jerry Conway? You know what? Probably. Yeah, it seems seems about right. There we go. Yet the Eddie yeah, reference. The Eddie, and they cast someone as Eddie Brock. Oh, and they I actually did. filmed it, but they cut it out of the movie. I don't um, remember. Okay, that's the other moment that dates the movie. Julia Roberts. <laughs> no. Yeah. Julia Roberts is still famous. But no one wants to see her in a thong. Well, just like the tabloid Julia Roberts phase, you know, she's uh, not really like that that tabloid fodder anymore. She's, yeah. you know, she's got a classy image now, I guess. She's in Homecoming. Oh, I've passed by that restaurant before. Yeah. Is that on Ventura Boulevard? <laughs> Ventura Ventura Boulevard's Boulevard's very long. It goes on for a lot long distance. Yeah. I wonder how much of this was filmed in LA and how much was filmed. I I know more was filmed in New York on the second movie, but here was a lot was filmed in LA. Well, the back um, I took the back lot tour from Warner Brothers once, and they mentioned like the alleyway fight is like one of their famous like mm. alley sets in um, the Warner Brothers tour. So I'm like, oh my god, it's like nerd mecca. That's uh, yeah, they filmed several Batman scenes in that same alley. Huh. I, I imagine we'll talk more about that when we get to that scene. Yes. She's flashing him. <laughs> I'm a flasher now. This is what I get. I don't get money from it, but I, I get so my kicks. Green, huh? Well, it's interesting because in this movie, MJ's kind of the one who's like being taken down some pegs. And then in the next movie, it's Peter. And I guess in the third one, it's MJ. Again, I remember they're talking about that. but Yeah. Well, it's very interesting because also I like... Um, you know, as a kid, I'm like, oh my God, how pathetic and how sad. But now I was like an adult out in Hollywood. It's like... Oh, what, you graduated like three months out of high school? You're not already the most famous actress in the world? Calm down, Kristen Dunst. Calm down. Well, again, we, we know why she's hurt on herself because of her... Yeah, I know, but... Her, so. her tone. But she, yeah. she's got to cut herself real, some slack. Uh, there, there's real motivation behind that, you know? Yeah. In terms of why she acts the way she does. Yeah. Can't stress enough because we understand why these characters where they're coming from and why that's very very important and we take that for granted oh foreshadowing don't tell Harry I don't think it is we all have to keep secrets from Harry <laughs> poor Harry is this, what, is this what Peter was thinking about when he laid down Roman Osborne's <laughs> cold dead body in that bed how much do you think this apartment would cost? Yeah, this is. I mean, I imagine because Norman is paying for yeah, it. Yeah, Norman's yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just seriously asking. But, oh, I imagine thousands of dollars. This is Manhattan. <laughs> you know, this apartment always reminded me of. It reminded me of 
reminds me of Shia LaBeouf's apartment in Transformers 3. Oh, yeah. Where he's supposed to be, like, this unsuccessful mailroom guy, but he's got, like, a two-story apartment with, like, stairs and, like, multiple rooms. Well, it's interesting because in the second movie, Peter gets that shitty apartment. I always kind of saw it as, like, after Norman's death, he wasn't able to pay for it, and Peter was forced to move out of this apartment. At least that's kind of how I yeah think. yeah so you I know he like, separates from Harry it's yeah. a little awkward and like their relationship isn't the same as it was Wait, so. is Chairman Mao on that coffee cup what yeah Why? on the coffee cup when it cuts back I think that's a Chairman Mao coffee cup is James Franco a fucking communist in this this is James Franco's actual coffee <laughs> he brought this out with him I imagine it was maybe the DP's like coffee cup he just laid it there and it just stayed in I like this sort of love triangle between. Uh, Peter, MJ, and Harry. I thought you were going to say the father will devote. <laughs> no, it's it's great. Yeah, and it, you know it's the heart. It, it the vein of it goes through the rest of the um, series as well. Like there's always that wedge in between them. Like he, even before he becomes the Green Goblin Junior or whatever we want to call him, the New Goblin. You know he uh, is still very resentful. It's the new goblin. Yeah. There we go. He's still resentful, though, towards um, Peter for that, even though they're not actively dating at all in the second one. And then, you know, they're kind of in a shitty place. Like, I know they're supposed to be, like, getting engaged in the third one, but I never feel like in the third one that, like, they're much further past, like, a few months of dating. He's got the Tums on the table. <laughs> Look at all that. It's nice a it's a it's a Tums festival. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. There's, there's a reason they they never recast this character. Uh, well, remember like the third one, like it's a running joke, like calm down. <laughs> they oh, have like okay, the old, yeah yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah. He's only in this. Only I think he might have like three scenes in this movie. Yeah, he's um only in the scene when the goblin attacks. I think that, again. that's the last one he's yeah. in right now. Yeah. Well, yeah, and then they started using him a lot more, and you know, and all that in the sequels because they knew, like you said, you can never recast him. Well, I think in the second one, it just happened to work out the way it was because of the creation of the conflict of with MJ being engaged to to, to Jameson's yeah, and then, son, and then the third one with Eddie Brock. Funny, like, how yeah. separate he seems from like his son, like, like <laughs> my son, the just like working at the bugle in the third one, even though like his son left. You know, or his, his fiance, son's fiance left him for Peter. And, like, either he doesn't know or he just doesn't care. Um, <laughs> it's just funny. Um, here's Elizabeth Banks. Yeah. That's all we have to say. It, well, she plays Betty Brandt. Betty Brandt was Peter's first love interest. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the thing. I thought, like, I was familiar with the character. I was, like, wondering. And, you know, they kind of in the second or the third one with the symbiote, like, in the like in the um, montage sequence, show her him, her kind of flirting with him. Like, oh, are they setting something up? Like, there's going to be a love square, I guess, because that's already with him, MJ, and um, Gwen. So are we going to add? And, and then, like, yeah, Ursula's there. So it's like, what, are we going to have, like, a um, five-sided trapezoid? So trapezoid have five sides. What I was thinking it's that's a real Peter Parker problem. Yeah. He can never get any girls except every single one that appears in the series. Yeah, for a guy who's so down on his luck, he uh, he's a player. Yeah. All anyway, what, what I was thinking in that scene was how many apple boxes they needed Tobey Maguire to stand on to be the same height as Elizabeth. <laughs> 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 Look, it's Professor X. Yeah. 
I, I actually thought that as a kid. I was like, is that Professor X? But I'm like, oh, that's And then you see him get turned into a skeleton. No, no, no. It's not. I think this is like, yeah, Norman kind of disappears from the narrative for a little bit because you you have to deal with Peter's origin in a way. But it's it's not a criticism at all. It's just yeah. just an observation. Because now we're kickstarting the Green Goblin plot. Yeah. He's there in a character sense, which yeah. I appreciate. The Unity Festival. You're out, Norman. Yeah, it's very Shakespearean. And he's like, God damn, Mara. No, I like how they like can rent out all of fucking Times Square for a giant parade festival. I know all, they have all that money going to Macy Gray, but like the company's like in dire <laughs> dire like financial straits. It's like they can afford all this shit. I, I say it's Shakespearean, but it's the next movie that actually references Shakespeare, where he's like Avengers. <laughs> Here comes the you know, best you know part. You Shakespeare wrote Hamlet, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, here she is, the woman herself. That was a joke. None of, none of that joke just for... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I got that Shakespeare did. Yeah. Now, could you imagine if she was... Like, you know how, again, back in the PlayStation 2 game, you can play as different skins. So you can be like a henchman, Mary Jane, the Green Goblin, a cop. Could you imagine if there was a Macy Gray skin? And like, <laughs> and they, would be if it was like the <laughs> and they, they would name all those board members and they'd all be playable. Yeah, yeah. Even the guy in the wheelchair. Even the guy in the wheelchair. <laughs> he would be like, what was the, in the um, Burger King's Kids Club, they had like a, a kid in a wheelchair. They all had like weird names. His name was like Wheels. That's what they should have named. Oh, that was Professor X's nickname <laughs> that Wolverine gave in the first X-Men film. <laughs> what do they call you, Wheels? Burger King was doing the sponsorship for that one. Right. Also, what is this festival? Like, there's people in, like, later hosens. Well, it's, it's the Unity World Festival, so I guess... It's oh, like it's a Epcot. world festival. Okay. Like, Epcot Festival, really, I guess. Oh, they did give him a name. Mr. Fargus. That sounds like a fake... Like, that sounds like the name of a teacher, like, on a Disney Channel or a Nickelodeon show. <laughs> oh, Mr. Fargus. Oh, look. Singular. Singular's coming. <laughs> <laughs> Remember... Uh, like, I've had a cup of noodles here. <laughs> glider <laughs> must be me this year macy gray get out of there save yourself oh my god we've talked about macy gray over every scene except the one that she actually i just said macy gray twice in this scene it is a really good song though too bad she never had another one <laughs> good introduction to the to the goblin here you don't quite see him at first very cinematic. Yeah. I want some whiskey for some reason. <laughs> yeah, this I love this little shot of Peter here, this close up of him when it when it explodes. That one? No, this one. <laughs> ah. Oh. Oh, there's this is back when Stanley cameos were more subtle. <laughs> yeah. They didn't stop the movie and give him a scene. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in the third one where he literally like gives him like the like message of the movie. It's like, thanks God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's our Superman reference. Mm -hmm. yeah. I just once want some. the buttons on that shirt. <laughs> He's too poor to afford a new shirt, but he can, so he has to keep sewing buttons on after every time. Out am I. Yeah. 
weird disintegration bomb. He never uses again. This was no, actually it's in the third movie. It's what uh, they kill Venom with. Oh. Yeah, isn't that weird? I just thought that was an explosive thing. Well, because you see Eddie Brock's skeleton. Uh, okay. I mean, I'm sure. I don't know. It probably wasn't intentional, but yeah. I've always noticed that. I was like, did that bomb come back? Yeah. Well, I just prefer. You know, it's like the Mars attack bomb. You know. Yeah. Spoilers to a commentary we're going to do. Okay, I got a question. This, this building that he's on, was that supposed to be uh, at an angle like that? Or is that was that made for like that shot? Or is that a curved building? I think that's made for the shot. I don't think that's a real building. It's definitely not in Times Square. There's no building that, as far as I'm aware, that looks like Art Deco in the middle of Times Square. I know it's a small thing, but even as a kid, I was like, what? I actually never thought about it. I've always, I've always wondered. Well, they that. always show because clearly they're not gonna. Even if it was a real building, they're not gonna like just <laughs> that guy's a superhero, yeah, or paralyzed. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, that's, that's, they say superhero, I meant paralyzed. <laughs> Get the guy, guy's wheelchair from up top. He's gonna need it. <laughs> Could you imagine if like they just show dozens of people in the background getting shredded up by these bullets? Just like there's a horrible death toll for this scene. <laughs> 36 die goblin attack. The Mario jumping sound effect. Should just play it with this. Stop hitting yourself. Stop hitting yourself. See, if I was Spider-Man, I would do that every single time I had to fight anybody. <laughs> I think about it. When I like how it actually affects him, though. It's like he's wearing a mask, but I know it would still blind him, but he's acting like it got in his actual eyes. I love that line. Where I'll meet again, Spider-Man. Hell yeah. Sounds like, it's, well, I mean, it's literally like the um, end of Inspector Gadget. Like, this is like, if this was a TV show, this would be the end of the episode. Oh, yeah, it's very classic. This is a great shot. Yeah, this whole moment's great. Okay, now apparently in this shot right here, that is not Tobey Maguire. That is just a model she's hanging on to. That is no. That is just. That is not a person. That's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Again, like this stuff. Like this, it's it's not just cool to see them swinging, but you're really invested in the emotional state of these two characters. I also like to keep like really emotional. Yeah, I like think he also ruined like this couple's proposal. Like this guy's about to propose to his girlfriend. Like he rented out this roof tape, this rooftop <laughs> space, and he's just like, "Yeah, here's the Kirsten Dunst for you. Bye." This is great too. He, that sound effect of him running on the building. Yeah, he just leaves her nowhere near her apartment. So oh, like, yeah. she's got... uh, I'm uptown. <laughs> you dropped me in Queens. God damn it. Clean cut. Spider-Man Three is when you got to like the J- the James Franco being James Franco, but in the first two movies, he's he's Harry Osborn. Yeah, he's an actor playing Harry Osborn. Yeah. Uh, 
I like also like the um, you hear the dial tone, even though phones don't work like that anymore. But it it's effective, and I like it. Yeah, well, you know. Oh, he's got blood on him from all of those board members who were fucking <laughs> skeletonized. Yeah, can we, like Mister Farmer's like I wish that would like stop throughout the movies often. Like this is why Harry's an asshole, not because his dad was like killed by Spider Man. He's like I saw like a bunch of people who I consider my family. Because you know, if Harry's grown up around this, you know, board and he he must know these people. He's friendly enough with him. He's like I saw family friends being vaporized and turned into skeletons in front of me. I knew their families. I had to go to so many funerals. Maker's Mark. Product placement. If you are a psychotic evil villain who abuses his son and murders people, you too will enjoy Maker's Mark. God, I, love, I love the goblin theme, just like with the bongos. And the, the creepy masks he keeps around and all that. Well, yeah, again, there's that. In... The, 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 what? <laughs> the theme that is great. Yeah, well, I mean, again, there's there's some sort of internal logic or justification as to why he wouldn't make a mask because it shows he he collects them, so it, it's you can bridge that gap. But it's also just like yeah. a look into his psyche. Yeah, that there's something hidden behind him. He's two faced. And he's maybe not too well. Could you imagine though, instead of collecting masks, he collected like you know beanie babies? You know, one of the times <laughs> just like dozens of beanie babies lining the shelves like Bernard. Get me the the rainbow bear. <laughs> Some great acting here. Yeah. Oh, this scene. I, this is this is a really good scene. And this is hard to do. I wonder if Raimi directed him where like he couldn't move his lips that much, so it wouldn't look like that was regular. Because I don't know. Was this made to look like the that was Norman regular Norman with uh, like coming towards the mirror and like in the Goblin Norman was there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Did I make any sense whatsoever? No, I think they just filmed it like at an angle. And... Yeah, they just. Oh, okay. I always kind of saw it like this is regular Norman. Well, I mean, yeah, that that's the thing, but like, oh, I get what you're saying that he had to be careful of his body language. Yeah, yeah, yeah maybe. Well, it's just that that's the only shot where you see the two of them sort of together. Yeah, because most of it is shot reverse shot, which I actually makes it more effective because it makes it seem like it's two different people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of hunched a little bit, um, so, like, the body language wasn't hidden too much. But, yeah, I mean, he wasn't speaking too animated. <laughs> I love that. Um, and this is the last Jameson scene. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't seem like it, though, that he's in it for well, yeah, such I a short time. I never actually made that connection myself. Yeah, he looms so large. I mean, he's so memorable. You don't, you don't think of it like that. <laughs> well, there's, there's also not that much left in the movie. Like, I was just looking at the timer on our recorder, like, how far in we're in. We're, like, like an hour and 40 minutes in. Like, right now? We're not an hour and 40 in. We're, like, an oh, hour. Sorry, hour, hour 15. Yeah. Um, uh, Spider-Man is actually three and a half hours long. <laughs> sorry. This movie has great pacing, though, now that, now that we're on that. Because once the plot gets going with the Goblin, it really... Just... A great little moment with a cigarette. Yeah. Cigar, cigar you're filstein. No. But no, yeah, he's just like, Thank what? you for adding to the conversation. <laughs> now, I do like how they, um, in the sequels, his office is redesigned. Like, that was a very conscious decision. That's like, oh, yeah, his office was destroyed. He's going to, you know, want it looking different. Yeah, so. He just redesigned it again in the third one. Yeah. Why not? I like how he doesn't sell Peter out here. Yeah. Good little character moment. Mm -hmm. Makes all the difference. It really does. It's like when Malcolm uh, 
tries to run away from the T-Rex in the, in the first Jurassic Park. He could have just ran away like he originally was going to, but... He tries to help save the kids. Yeah. 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 Now, how funny would it be if the wind blew back since the mouth was open and he too passed out? <laughs> <laughs> Peter dies on the sidewalk. He just passes out, gets arrested. That's the end of the movie. Now, this, the blocking in this scene was always kind of curious to me. This isn't a criticism, but notice how the goblin is standing in this scene. I wonder if they... It always played a little jokey to me, like they're talking like they're, like, he's acting like they're at in the break room. Like no. The, no, like, well, when he, like, leans up against him and just kind of, like, taps on the back of the head, like, it's almost like he's a lot more casual well, about I, Well, that's the point. He's trying to appeal yeah. to him in a way, so he's trying I, to be his friend. I like this. I actually like this scene a lot. The thing that always stuck out to me is the costume is very restrictive on the two of them here. Yeah. Particularly the Green Goblin, because Spider-Man's very passive here. He's just sort of listening to the Green Goblin talk about his philosophy. But the Green Goblin, there's like a lot of emotion going on there. And you can see them trying to get that through with the eye holes and the mouth and everything. Yeah, it was a very wise decision to allow him to be able to emote a little bit. But it, it feels like the costume sort of is, is holding back some of the performance here. It's one of those things where I, I don't really criticize the, the costume that much. It was, you know, what they had at the time and everything. But I actually kind of like the costume. Yeah, I do too. It it, I, mean, I, I, under, I, you know, it's a little restrictive. But this is the scene where the restrictiveness stuck out to me. The rest of the movie, uh, you know, I, I think it works. But I think it's cool. I mean, it's a functional, it's like a glider armor outfit in a yeah. way. And then there's the goblin uh, aspect, but. It was like a part of me that kind of wishes for like the Spider-Man mask, like he could move his jaw a little bit more as he was talking, just have something going on. Well, and that's it. I think that's why the eye thing in the new movies. That was about to say that, that yeah. Such a big thing mm. that you can move the eyes. Yeah. Because yeah. you know that was always in the comics and the cartoons, but you know part of it was also they were restricted by you know the fact this is the early two thousand. I just noticed the bottom of the newspaper it said editor in chief Brady. Yeah. That's so, yeah. yeah. Jameson's last appearance. <laughs> yeah. Um. But yeah, you know, like they they were a little restricted by it. But yeah, you know, I'm sure they could they could have gone a little bit um, more with it. But I think there was also just restraints on like you know superhero movies in general. But like studio might have been a little leery to put a shit ton of money behind designing the costume to make it perfect. So, but no, I agree. I've, I've I always heard liked multiple it. stories about why it ended up the way it did because there was like test costumes that were more accurate to the original comics and whatnot. I've, I've heard like a lot of different explanations and reasons. I even heard a rumor that it may have been like a labor dispute. Really? really? Don't take my word on any of this. This is just rumors online, but it was uh, like a union thing between like the makeup people and the costuming hmm. people that hmm. worked it. Something, I, I, I don't know. Yep. But whatever it is, we ended up with what we did. But that does sound something that would happen though. I, I, I could see. That's yeah. like the level of incompetency that I'm just sort of like I could see that happening in Hollywood. Yeah. This is on the back lot. Yeah. She's, she's about to walk onto the Warner Brothers back lot. This looks like it could be the back lot, too. Maybe. I mean, I don't know. It looks so convincing where maybe I'd... It's hard to say. I concur. Yeah. It's just a great scene. Sometimes yeah. It's like sometimes it's difficult to find things to say. Yeah, no. <laughs> Scenes yeah, like just this. Like, well, just, like, take it in. Maybe it was the back lot because of that lightning. You need to, yeah. you need to time that. Oh, yeah. Or someone just had, like, the big, you know, 
<laughs> well, well, the rain too. That you had to control the rain storm. Yeah. So maybe this was a back lot. I, I imagine, like, but, especially those shots. By the way, the most obvious burglars on the planet immediately 180 around. <laughs> like he takes his shoe off there. Yeah. That's a very dynamic shot. Yeah. You got them in the background, and then he comes into the foreground, and you're visually getting yeah. lots of information about what's going on. Yeah, it's got really. Spider-Man doesn't have to come out and say, "Oh, I have to help MJ, but I don't have enough time to change into my clothes." Yeah. So you just get it. I was about to say to ruin it a little bit, but it's got to really suck for Spider-Man because he can never wear shorts or t-shirts because Peter's got to be able to keep this shit hidden, so he can't be like. Oh, it's 100 degrees out. I gotta still wear my turtleneck, though. Well, you don't think about it that much. I do. Yeah, he, he can't just, like, put it in his backpack. I mean, yeah. She always looked like she was laughing there to me. You just hear a neck snap. <laughs> <laughs> just that one. He hurts everyone else. just kills that one. Now, apparently that was a... Um, this is a stuntman, and that was Tony McGuire yeah. going into, like, a back door. Thanks for saving my life, but maybe we shouldn't have this conversation where these half-conscious <laughs> people just tried, to, just tried to rape and murder me. <laughs> you see one of them getting up. He's got, like, a web behind a back again. Now, I gotta say, I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but... I think this is, was like the last iconic kiss in, in a movie. Yeah, I can't really think of um, a more recent iconic one. Well, you know, it's like, what are we defining as iconic just in terms of the, the visual in itself? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. I, I've thought about it. I, I can't really think of one that's kind of stuck within pop culture like that. I mean, this is something that's in the comics too, but... Yeah. Um, I just love how though they say like how unromantic this was you know, his sinuses just kept filling up with yeah, water he, he he's, was like, suffocating. <laughs> he's like she was pretty much breathing air into me as we were kissing <laughs> now what if she was a dick and just like ripped his mask oh, off Peter well it's supposed to be sexy you know it's yeah. this mysterious man and everything as and you then person. and again as you see the muckers getting up in the background <laughs> just wait leaves. don't leave <laughs> please can you take me uptown? I have to go home. I want to pay for the subway now. Okay, we got about maybe 25 minutes left of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously? Oh, yeah. This, wow. that, once After the kiss happens, I always remembered how like how fast it goes, yeah. how they, you really get into the, the, into the stakes. That baby would be about, what, 18 years old now? Yeah. Maybe 17. So. Yeah. Just like how this turns into like an episode of like Heroes, like I'm expecting to see Dennis Leary, who isn't who is. Oh, sorry, Stacey. sorry, sorry. Rescue me, not Heroes. Oh well, he does play Captain yeah, Stacy. Expecting yeah. to see Zachary Quinto. Yeah. Is he on that show? I never actually yeah. watched it. Now I could never tell. Does this guy just have dirt above his lip, or is it the world's worst mustache? I think it's a mustache. Now that we're sitting two feet away from the screen, we can check. Yeah, hold on, everyone. Pause the movie so we can check this. 
it is weird watching like you're right the kid probably is like 17 be like oh this kid's like graduating high school now it's like what people point out is like eminem's daughter like in eight mile is like in her 20s now yeah i mean you know people grow up it, it's just yeah like weird that's like you know that's that's the yeah. i think that's the lesson you get yeah. <laughs> i don't know how much more we can add to this. time passes <laughs> i'm just saying it's weird we're all older guys not all of us are older than Toby McGuire is here, but most of us are. This is great. I just just the idea of the Green Goblin just fucking with <laughs> Spider-Man. <laughs> the, 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 like he had to plan all... this out. Like, oh, I know what'll do. What'll trick him in. I got this blanket. <laughs> he could have just like set up a few bombs by the window to immediately blow him up. But I, well, think, well, I like the artistry of it. Well, no, he didn't want to because he, here he's trying to still offer eh. him. Could have been ready though. He does look cool here, though, with the, oh, yeah. the flames in his eyes and everything. Yeah. Just imagine these poor stunt men, like, like roasting in these costumes. It's a way to sort of visualize the emotion of this character mm-hmm. with a very static costume by having this, like, these flames reflecting around him. I imagine Raimi tried to do a lot with that, because I think that is something he would be pretty cognizant of, because he's always uh, about that. Oh, not the dick. Now... Something I'm just thinking about um, that really never comes back of this. Last time, you know, Spider-Man, like, you know, he's wanted criminal, and he swings in to go rescue a screaming woman and then just leaves as the building explodes again. And no one's ever like, wow, Spider-Man left that woman, old woman in there to burn death. So you think he was able to explain, no, 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 guys, it was the Green Goblin was in there. Don't worry. Or do people, like, see the Green Goblin coming out? Is it cool? He had to go out the back, the Green Goblin. He had to sneak out. He's probably got to... No, I'm just like saying, clearly does everyone think a, he killed an old lady? Clearly, this is a very important thing to discuss. No, clearly he had a, a, a trench coat and a fedora. He put that on and he walked out. Of Didn't the take the mask off, away. though. <laughs> yes, exactly. And no one asked him any questions. And he picked up a fruitcake at the store. Yeah. Traffic was murder. Work was murder. Oh, work I also imagine this apartment was big just because they had to fit, fit all the crew and cameras. That could just be a practical thing. Yeah. It's like why dorm rooms and... Well, they were able to fit area. everyone in his shitty apartment in the sequels. Well, that was probably a set. Yeah. Although this is probably a set, too. Yeah, I was going to say, I think this is a set. I like that they think, oh, is he up there? Has he just been sitting up there for hours while we've been down here? Thanks for helping with the <laughs> Aunt May's like, I will kick your ass, you little bastard. This is this. my husband just died. And now I have to deal with you shirking out from your chores and helping cooking the food. I should have been able to retire, but I had to raise your stupid ass after your parents died in a drunk driving accident. That's my headcanon. Side note, in Full House, the mom died from a drunk driver, but when I was a little kid and someone explained to me, I thought the mom was a drunk driver. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. Bob Saget had to go down to like the morgue and go through like a civil lawsuit as the other family sued him. Oh, my God. Wow. Just like Spider-Man. <laughs> Just a very creative scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like shot well. Like, I love face up. Back to face, but his face is different. There's like a, a whole like a whole beat right there in that one shot. It's as if someone directed this movie, yeah. Jacob, and not a committee. Yeah. Wow. 
I'm also imagining, could you, like, if someone else is on their balcony downstairs who just looks at the speed fighter right above them? And then has to kill them, too. Spider-Man only kills people to keep his secret identity. <laughs> Probably a Sony TV, I expect. Hmm. <laughs> Nobody? What you do, Lonnie? I think we all, it doesn't seem when we sharpen our knives. <laughs> yes. What a delicious moment. He just stabs her in the stomach. He just snaps. This is when Norman Osborn snaps. A little further, I, I guess. I like how they do this. No, I, yeah. it's, a great, yeah. it's a great little way to, for him to find out. It's a very classy, clever, and it doesn't need to, you know... Not over the top, yeah. Not as good as an Amazing Spider-Man 2 where Harry Osborn finds out by just like kind of looking at him and, and being like, Peter. <laughs> then he turns into a crack addict. <laughs> he turns into to Beavis. Beavis and Butthead. Talking about the, the Amazing Spider-Man 2 Green Goblin, who's probably the best interpretation of this character. <laughs> Yeah. Now I'm sure the scene right here we've all experienced with our family members <laughs> every Thanksgiving. Yeah. Oh, wait, with your family members telling you to groom your girlfriends. Yeah. It's weird. Even when I was single, they would tell me that. Yeah. yeah no. It's... Now she's wearing a wig here because in the, in, the, in the next movie she she dyes her hair. Yeah. Well, it works. Like it it's a good enough wig, but I also like the fact that like she looks like a hot topic girl, which like fits with the era. Like no one's hair is that naturally red. That's why Norman doesn't like her. It's like that's totally not her real hair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I prefer the wig, but I, I get why they dyed it, because again I think it goes back to the idea of just trying to make these people more human. Yeah. And, and kind of grounding them in it. And it's more to Kirsten Dunst, I bet it makes yeah. her more comfortable yeah. and everything. Well, and his hair was is a little red, too. Like, they dyed um, James Franco's hair, too. They did, bit. yeah, yeah. To match Willem Dafoe, I think, a little bit. There's, like, the one shot when he comes into the hospital or whatever, and it's not dyed the same. Yeah, it's a lot darker. It's a lot darker. Oh, yeah, yeah you're right. I always just remember it being a lot more red, like, for some reason, like, his hair. Like, I, like that his hair was almost, like, it had highlights. So, okay, this is the scene that I was always curious about the blocking. So, I remember reading, like, the junior novelization when I was a little kid of this movie and getting to this scene. And I was, like, specifically thinking, oh, how are they going to do this? This sounds very dramatic and interesting. And it's the mask on the right side of this chair <laughs> just opposite him on the other side of the room. It works, though. It is one of those things where I think when you write, you're like, oh, shit, how the fuck do I, <laughs> do, I do this? Like maybe he's holding it in front of the fire or something yeah. like that, but I, I, it's well, out of chair. Well, it yeah. show, well, it's a great visual way of just telling us how he's almost at the mercy of his, of his psyche in a way. He's at the mercy of this chair that's like, <laughs> what is it, four feet high. Yeah. Now, can you imagine if Harry or Bernard came in and just saw it? It's like, wait, are you the Green Goblin? <laughs> Bernard already knew. He just never spoke of it. Also, great to know that... Um, May Parker is a Catholic. Oh, it's yeah. a good detail. Yeah, and the lighting here. I'd like this, yeah. The, the, the light in his eyes and everything. Mm -hmm. Very cool. He looks very angelic. 
I remember that this actually helped me learn the Lord's Prayer growing up. I think it the too, actually. <laughs> and, I, and then I shouted in church, from evil, like Aunt May. And then the and priest yelled at you. And everyone looked at me and said, is that from Spider-Man? Those horrible yellow eyes. Oxygen in use. No smoking. Interesting. Quick, Wasp, what's the number of the room? 420. 69. 1776. The other sexiest number. Um, disappointed by every response there. I like that photo, too, in the corner there. It's just a nice little detail. I mean, I guess the cast does a pre-production like or something. I like the one of him with yeah. the Yankees cap, Uncle Ben. Yeah. <laughs> I, want the Yankee, I want that photo. If I could have, you know, any movie prop from this film, it might be Uncle Ben with the Yankees cap. I hope that's Cliff Robertson's official picture on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there are a lot of references to DC superheroes in this movie because I know like we're a little bit away, but she's about to say you're not Superman. So I like to think that a little bit later on in the third one, he's like going to see like the Dark Knight, like with Mary Jane. Like that's one of their date night movies. It was nice because back then the so-called rivalry between Marvel and DC was not so much of a commodity. So mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, you can just reference Superman as part of this character beat. Now, now you couldn't do that. You have to probably go through so many fucking legal, and it would come legal out, shit. And be like yeah, hundreds of clickbait articles like Marvel and DC crossover. Does this mean Superman exists in the uh, the MCU? And there'd be like a terrible Photoshop <laughs> picture of like Henry Cavill looking confused, like, <laughs> Iron Man or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, it would be a nightmare. Well, that was like the thing like, when they were talking about like making Who Framed Roger Rabbit. The only way you could get that movie made because Spielberg was able to convince like Disney and like Warner Brothers and all these other properties. Like, let's all work together for one movie. And that's why Zemeckis said there will never be another one because Spielberg doesn't want to do one of these again. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, was, I was really trying to defend her. He's, yeah, he's just trying to set himself up for, so she doesn't fall in love with Spider as she falls in love with him. <laughs> That's like the most illogical, counterproductive thing. <laughs> if Peter was a real idiot, he would do that. No, no. <laughs> yeah, no, Spider Man. Like family guy sketch. It's, it's like I've seen in like, uh, the Lego movie where Bruce Wayne sounds like a cool dude. <laughs> I love you, Spider-Man. <laughs> I love you, Spider-Man. No, you should like the Peter Parker. He's a cool guy. Relatable. Yeah, he's a fucking asshole. That's Spider-Man. What is he talking about? He's really racist. He said some, like, really offensive shit to me. He's making fun of you for being Irish. I'm not Irish. Exactly. He's just making fun of shit for making fun of shit. This dialogue is very real and earnest, but poetic at the same time. Yeah. Which is very nice. It's funny coming into this. It really comes across. Now, just watching it from the part where he says you feel excited makes it seem like it's like a great metaphor for for sexual intercourse. Well, I feel excited. Going back to the, that's that's part from the James Cameron version. 
Yeah, this was lifted directly from James Cameron's script, just put in a different context to make it part one. <laughs> hey guys, remember when there was romance in movies? Yeah. <laughs> now they're just like, oh, where's Jane? Ah, she's somewhere. Where's Pepper? Ah, she's off yeah, doing now something. They, now they kiss like high schoolers. There's no. This is kids. This is something called sexuality. <laughs> Look at his hands. He's got veiny hands. He's dehydrated. Yeah. Drink your water, Toby. Have he can't drink water. I wonder if that was part of the workout routine. Like Hugh yeah. Jackman mm. used to have to dehydrate before he'd do any shirtless scenes. Oh, there's. Yeah, I've heard. James Franco just probably. Oh, that's kind of died there. Yeah. I think it's just the lighting, maybe. And the fact he's wearing very dark clothes. I always liked his clothes. Just very over dramatic. Not in like a bad way, just like it's very hairy where he just overdresses to visit Aunt May. He thought Aunt May died. Oh, I love this. This, this is like when uh, Harry catches. Or a master fading? No, uh, watching The Simpsons. No. You can hear him laughing. <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you meant walking in on something sexual. No. no. He's watching Simpsons on the TV. <laughs> No, so was some Sony show was so what was Sony doing at the time? Well, it wouldn't have been the Big Bang Theory. Two and a Half Men was that on yet? No, I don't care. I don't know. I think he was watching season two of Family Guy. <laughs> I would have. I was probably watching Jag. Fuck. <laughs> Norman's also a big NCIS fan, or he would have been if he lived long enough. Came out a year after this. Yeah, both this movie and NCIS are nearly 20 years old. Yeah, this movie's 18 years old. Wow. We're getting old. You'll always be able to tell how old this movie is based on the age of that baby. <laughs> look up whoever the baby is, find out how old they are, and that's how you'll know. How old is the baby from Spider-Man.com? <laughs> Click the link below. Put the link in the description. It's like links to like some Russian bot site, like inadvertently. I love that line. I'm going to rectify certain inequities. It's very in character for Norman to to say it like that. Yeah, seriously. But I also businessman. I also wish like Harry would be like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) What does that mean? That that probably must have been the best scene in the film, where you just have Norman Osborn go up and be like, ah. Can we try that again? <laughs> I've been saying Raimi had a blast. I had a nightmare that Roman uh, was dressed in a restricted Power Ranger costume, roaring in my face. I remember that was in the trailer, all the like a bunch of the trailers. You're not Spider or Superman, you know. I remember that was in a couple of trailers. Oh, I remember yeah, that too. Yeah. I got a laugh in my theater, I think, too. Well, again, it goes back to referencing stuff. It's like um, I like in Batman and or Batman and Robin when um, you know, he's like, "This is why Superman works alone." References are fun sometimes. Sometimes they're not, but sometimes they are. Right, Jake? Oh yeah. How I, Batman I, and Robin's your favorite movie? I prefer the Batman Forever when he's like, "I'll get a driver." Oh God. He is referencing McDonald's because of the team up. Well, no, because of the toy line. Oh, that's what I meant. Talking about that dank weed, right? That's what they're meaning by Mary Jane? Yes. (laughs) They don't like us because we're Catholic. Now, kids, this is an antique called a, a, a payphone. 
there used to be a lot of these, and you would put money in them, and then you would call people. There's no joke. That's just a factual thing. You should have had a beeper. <laughs> Billy Wick could have been more outdated. Can you imagine that beeper? It's like a beeper from the Goblin. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Peter had a beeper? Just always Aunt May. <laughs> Damn it, Aunt May. That's Spider-Man Could you imagine though? Like he just gets the answering machine. He's like, "Damn, she's not home," and hangs up. And Norm is like, "Oh, oh shit!" <laughs> yeah, like he's like calling. He starts. Yeah, it's the payphone. He called. He calls three times. Hang up. <laughs> he, he calls the hospital. He's like, oh, yeah, can you patch me through the Bay Parker's room? <laughs> Operator. What phone was he just at? Now I like how in the again back in the Spider-Man video game they decide to make this the Brooklyn Bridge for some reason. Which bridge is this in the movie? I think this George Washington. This is George. The, no, this is the Queensboro. Oh, Queensboro. Queensboro. Okay. So here's the the history of Spider-Man's girlfriend getting thrown off of bridges um, because there's a history here. This is based on the death of Gwen Stacy when she was thrown off the bridge. And in that, they say it's the George Washington Bridge, named after his favorite president, Norman Osborne. But they drew the Brooklyn Bridge. Oh. So they kind of, there's an inconsistency there. And then here they reference it by having the goblin throw Mary Jane off the bridge, but it's the Queensboro Bridge. There you go. So they were homaging not the movie version, but the comic book version in the video game. Yeah, it's it's an homage to the night when Stacy died. What's weird is when they finally got to the night when Stacy died in Amazing Spider-Man 2. They didn't do it at a bridge. It was on a clock tower. That was so emotional. It was embarrassing. (laughs) I always was like, because there was like the whole thing with the clock ticking down in that scene, and I was like, is this supposed to be symbolic or something? And it was just the issue number. It, it, It... it goes to whatever number that issue was. Or yeah. And I was like, well, that's kind of meaningless. Yeah. Well, it's like in the new one, um, Far From Home, like the license plates um, of the cars like Nick Fury drives and pr- prominent ones you see um, are like... This is a great line. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, but some of the license plate will spell out like the... like. Amazing Spider-Man, like, 415, then it'll be, like, the first appearance of, like, a character that's similar to, like, the elementals that Mysterio uses. Well, yeah, because it's, uh, I remember that boat goes by, and it has the number that Hydro-Man first appeared yeah. in, the issue number. Uh, I like little reference like that, but, um... Oh, yeah, but I, I don't like it as the thematic focus yeah, of no. the most important scene in the movie, in absence of any real drama. Yeah. Now, I remember back to the video game, um... It's you can you have to get Mary Jane like off the top of the bridges. It's like there's a fire raging on both sides, and then you pick her up, and then you're supposed to immediately just set her down. But I would swing around and see if I could try and fight the goblin. And one time I fell off the bridge into the water, and they didn't know how to do the animation of like Mary Jane falling with you, so she just gets separated from Spider Man and just fucking sinks like a stone to the bottom. So like so Spider Man slowly sinks and she just like dives down. It's like oh god. Falls through into infinity. Mary Jane, no. Also, world's worst field trip. It's like 11 o'clock at night, and you're just going on the fucking tram ride across, like, the bridge. Oh, we gotta be up at 6 in the morning <laughs> next day. You know what this scene really needed? When Peter, uh, um, you know, 
used his webbing. We needed the webbing to take the form of a hand. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I was very, uh, you know, it, it works as it is, but he really wanted to give it an extra, extra emotional Boom, touch. Yeah. That's yeah. Oh, yeah. That's... Right. Here comes the scene we had to put in, possibly because 9-11 happened, question well, mark. First, we have the scene where, after much encouraging, Mary Jane realizes she can't do it. <laughs> <laughs> after some real soul searching, she goes, nope, can't do it. <laughs> oh, fine. <laughs> Jesus Christ. She's a superhero, her too. popped out of her sockets. <laughs> the, the funeral scene, she has both arms and gas. <laughs> This is great. <laughs> God, girl. And now all of her fingers are separated from her hand yeah. as well. I like those guys. Yeah. They're not going to make it, guys. Yeah. We're going to make it. He always looked a little like Jim Henson to me for some reason. <laughs> it's Jim Henson and Frank Oz. She's not going to make it. Mm. I don't know, Bert. I think she's going to make it. Now, I've always wondered, because people always do say, oh, this was in response to Nile. Like, do we know for a fact this was added in? or was this Because it works even without 9-11 happening, like the city getting behind Spider-Man. That's the thing. I, I never, this never felt out of place to me. Yeah. yeah it I was like a culmination of the whole, eventually they will hate you. Yeah. Plot. Because that's the thing, I always hear people saying, oh, it's just 9-11 happened, but it's like, I've never heard definitive proof. That's just people just on the internet saying yeah. that. Yeah, I think that's an overly cynical interpretation yeah. there. It does work within the narrative. Yeah. I, I have heard it was added post-9-11 um, to show a moment of unity, but it, it doesn't feel forced yeah. to me. Oh, this, this scene's great. Also, really, there'd be like a hundred homeless people like in this giant abandoned <laughs> structure. <laughs> just all these lanes and all these needles. <laughs> That's the real danger here, Peter. Watch out for the needles. Yeah. You see the like the skeleton pop up. You see like it's dark, but it goes off. You see like thirty skeletons in the background. Now, this is a great scene. You don't, you rarely see final fights like this. Oh yeah, it's crazy how intense it gets. Down and dirty, just. Yeah. Really great. <laughs> just really look at this. Like no no CGI, just two guys slugging it out, beating the shit out of each well, other. Well, not two guys, really, just one guy getting the shit kicked out of himself. You, you think about I, I really like the new Spider Man movies, but the new one ends with like the world at stake and these like this giant battle in London. And this is just two guys like fighting in a warehouse and it is just as, if not more emotional yeah. than that. It doesn't uh, need to be that big. It's more emotional. <laughs> yeah, you get what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Well, I just like yeah. He like he gets really hurt. Like, like Peter has to invent a story to like Aunt May and other people. Like, oh yeah, I got mugged. <laughs> like the I mean, next probably day. That's yeah. what it would be. Well, it's like yeah, that, the scene where he pulls out like the pitchfork and everything. That yeah. is so much more powerful than like just a big generic superhero climax. Yeah. Would have been. And a beam of light in the sky. Yeah. He's yeah. Just, he's like the goblin's gonna shoot his his portal into the sky. Yeah, it's just about the culmination of these two guys' relationships. And now I would have loved like when he picks up his like foot, like from like where he stepped on his wrist, like his wrist is now stuck to his like shoe. He's like, God damn it, the webbing, and like he just got like scrape his foot off, like a bug on him. Like that, where do you get this? Yeah, that's so cool. Why have we never saw that, and why was it not in the video game? No, it's like. 
I like this little spin. And Look at this camera work. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, jeez. That's what you get. <laughs> he didn't know that wouldn't kill him. He didn't know it was Norman yet, guys. <laughs> oh. See a bunch of homeless people scatter in the background. He's like, this is not how I plan my day to go. Now, you may ask yourself, how did I end up here? Well, let me explain. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's told from the goblin's perspective. <laughs> this, this is how the movie starts. Live hard. Love hard. <laughs> get punched in the face by Tobey Maguire. <laughs> Peter! Pete, stop! It's me! <laughs> Peter, thank God for you. I also wish it would have been more realistic when he's punching him in the like hard metal mask. Like Peter's like, ah, fuck! Just like really hurting his fists. This is great. How kind of pathetic and, yeah. and everything he plays it. But he's distracting him. Yeah. You know he's totally gone now. Until the very end. Yeah. Well, that's a very interesting thing that Willem Dafoe does to get enough credit. Like, the duality. Like, yeah, it's fu- easy to be like, oh, yeah, when he's, like, the really over the top. It's like, yeah, it's like... I never really thought about it too much like that when I was growing up. But, like, as I did get older, I thought the same thing. Like, oh, this isn't really Norman. This is the goblin, like, trying to do a trap, knowing, like... Peter is, might be weak enough to fall for it. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, and it's like, it's like a very clever thing. No, I think it's a very, like, it's not subtle at a lot of times in his performance, like most Willem Dafoe performances. Uh, but he does have subtle, and then, you know, this is a nice moment as well. Too bad we can't hear the score. Godspeed, Spider Man. I want that etched on my tombstone. This is a great little moment. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Oh, bite like, a dick yeah, level it, too. It really is, it's just like I was shot there. This, this they, is they, pause it, they pause it for a brief moment for him to say, oh. This yeah. is a surprising moment in theaters, just how violent this was. It's just great. You would never see this in like, like a, I don't know, like a Marvel movie now. No, like yeah. This. Well, I mean, like, there's scenes of people getting, like, stabbed and stuff. Like, I think of Infinity War when Tony Stark gets stabbed by Thanos. But it doesn't feel nearly like, as visceral. Kind of, well, yeah. I think the difference is there's something more gritty and, uh, well, that's what I mean. I mean the visceral aspect yeah. of it quite like that. That was more like a CGI thing, right? It's, it's effective for what it is, but this... I know they're doing different yeah. things, but this is a lot more visceral. Now, I can't imagine him swinging through New York with the performance of Lifeless Corpse like that. I want that shot, like, how he's swinging with Mary Jane, but his, like, limbs are flying everywhere. Like that should have been the final swing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, what do you think he did with the armor? Do you think he like left it and like some in that building and some homeless guy is now wearing it, or he got rid of it, dumped in the East River? Yeah, I mean, Bernard came and took it back. <laughs> There's a homing beacon. Just great setup here. I remember oh, seeing yeah. this in theaters and like, oh my god, they're, they're setting up, setting up the Green Goblin revenge. Yeah, I remember we were talking about that when we walked out from the theater. Yeah. Just great. I mean, it's not obviously it's not like a, a wink, wink, like tease. It, it does feel like part of the story, like a culmination of his arc, because he did eventually, like you know, mend things with his father. So it's more of a, kind of an extension of that. But also, it is a great reference to the comics, and it is a continued through line to the next movies. Well, it's a culmination of Peter and Harry's story here, where there's the tragic irony that Spider-Man has just brought more pain 
Yeah. Yeah. I remember, yeah, walking out, I think my mom was like, oh, maybe the next one, Harry will come back for revenge. And when I was a kid, and I was like, they should do Venom in the next one. <laughs> <laughs> Venom and Carnage. The great. Now, I'm... <laughs> The music's great here. I love when the theme sort of kicks in with the with the strings and then the narration comes back. Just this is just terrific, yeah. guys. Now I like um like yeah, Aunt May and MJ talking to the priest in the background. Like, what are they talking about? No. We're concerned now, another, about Peter's life. He got the shit kicked out of like a couple of days ago. We noticed. It seems like there's like a glider shape. <laughs> we found a glider that has his DNA. Yeah, I imagine the police would have investigated that after the bridge. They would have followed the trail. It was like right next door. And they yeah. went there like, well. Like, yeah. Now, like, wow, Norman Osborn was the Green Goblin. All he did was build all his equipment. But, you know, who would have thought? I don't know. That's a stupid tangent. It doesn't matter. Never thought about it like that, but no. Well, I like in the, again, going back to the video game, the only thing I know about this movie. I've never seen the movie. just played the game. Um, when you play as Harry. I thought we were doing a commentary track in the video game. I, I had all the, the secrets and tips unlocked. Uh, but when you, in the game mode, you can play as Harry Osborn as the goblin. Like, they got, like, another voice actor, and it's, like, a really cool skin. But that's the thing. He's like, I'm investigating who killed my father. How did he die? And it's like, yeah, that could have, like, is this an unsolved murder in um, this world? Like, doesn't end the way you expect it to, but it ends the way it needs to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then the next movie undoes it. <laughs> well, no, there's, there's a the point to that. Yeah, no, no, I'm point. joking. Yeah. It, it doesn't undo it. It takes it to the next point. Yeah. No, but it, this is a, like, it's a, a bittersweet ending. It's like, you know, he could get the girl, but he knows he shouldn't. It's very powerful. Talking about, yeah, something you don't see often in these movies where... He gets the girl, but then turns her down. That's what's so great about it. At the beginning, it's like all he wants, and he's pining for her, and it's like it's like his greatest dream. And here, it's at the end, he basically gets handed it on a platter, and he just has to turn away from it. Yeah, it's because of his responsibility that he was taught. He knows he can't put her put her in danger. He 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 thinks of her life first before his. That's why he turns her down. It's for the greater good. Now, if he had medium-sized powers with some, you know, duties, he could probably have her, but not with great power or great responsibility. Yeah, if he, you know, if he was Ant-Man or something, then maybe it would be different. Yeah, he can make it work, but not, not as Spider-Man. Yeah. Oh, he just friend-zoned her. <laughs> She's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go back to Flash, I guess, before he goes to Sophia Vieira. Get it? It's great. It just... Or Pee Wee Herman. Wait, wait, what? He was in that Pee Wee's like big holiday Netflix movie where he has like a, he's oh, playing him. Wow. Yeah, Joe Mangiello plays himself. He has like a vaguely homoerotic bromance with Pee Wee Herman. Well, that's great. Uh, let's <laughs> let's go back to the movies. <laughs> great little moment there. Yeah, I remember in the theater, yeah. people were like, <gasps> "Yeah," and then yeah. she still doesn't know though. Yeah. But she suspects yeah. the second movie yeah. goes back. True. Yeah, I mean, like we, we keep talking about these moments where the audience like audibly reacted to moments, and um, I, it just speaks to the power of this movie. Yeah. Why it was such like a, a, 
phenomenon when it came out. Yeah, I mean, and I honestly think about it, the third. Well, the third movie made more than the first Guardians of the Galaxy, even like without three D. Like that's how wow. like popular these movies were. Yeah. Like, they really were. I mean, I just. I mean, these these recent ones are good, but I, I think these first two are something so special oh, that yeah. you're never going to replicate again. I think this was just made at a certain time and a place with the right people. I mean, yeah. I don't want to, like, I don't want to, you know, it's a movie, and I don't want to blow things out of proportion and whatnot, but it really is just, you know, talented team of people understood the material, came together, and were able to execute it the way they wanted to. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was lightning that, in a bottle. It's how you get a two-and-a-half-star movie, according to Roger Ebert. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I forgot he didn't like that. He loved the second one. Yeah. Well, he also liked Home Alone 3 and Die Hard 2. That's his name. There we go. Um, all right. And now we're ta- going over the greatest song all of all time. I, I still fucking love this song. I have it on my iPod. <laughs> I, I listen to it sometimes still. Well, we hope you enjoyed our discussion of the first Spider-Man. We're going to continue through the rest of the Raimi movies, so stay tuned. Thank you for listening and watching. Continue our Raimi marathon next time with Crime Wave. And then Oz and the Great and Powerful. Thank you and good night.